Well, today I wore my Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl champion shirt. I thought you would be so happy for me. I waited 50 years to wear this shirt. The Bible says to rejoice with those who rejoice. And so thank you for rejoicing with me on that. But I know what you really want to see is Lee wearing a Kansas City Chiefs jersey. So I've got that right here. And doesn't he look so good in that jersey? He's been begging me all week long to keep that jersey so that he can have a winner's jersey to wear this next season. So I told him he could. Well, hey, everybody, welcome to The Crossing this week. So great to have you here. Let me also welcome The Crossing Midtown, The Crossing West Henderson. We love you guys, praying for you. Our microsites, those watching online, let's just give them all a great big welcome if we can. Hey, have you ever pulled up next to somebody and you just immediately begin to judge them? You know, some kid pulls up in a brand new Porsche and you're like, well, it must be nice to drive daddy's car. Or somebody drives up in a, in a beater car and what you think is, you must not work very hard. Or you're watching some news story and you would never say this out loud, but you begin to make assumptions based on the color of their skin or the country that they're from or the political party that they belong to. And immediately you're confronted with your own racism, your own sexism, your own classism, or just your own judgmentalism. Well, that's what we're going to be talking about Today, today we are in the second week of the series that we are calling the separation of church and hate. And there are two things that they say you should never talk about. Like if you're going out to eat with friends, they say you should never talk about religion and never talk about politics. Now, I find it very difficult to stay away from the topic of religion in church, but I found it very easy to stay away from the topic of politics in church. But whenever there's something that's going on in our culture that intersects with the teachings of Jesus, I just believe that's something we need to talk about together. And so last week we kicked off this series and we asked this question right here. Are you willing to put your faith filter ahead of your political filter? So this doesn't mean that you don't have a political filter. This just means, are you willing to put your faith filter ahead of your political filter? And this is so difficult to do. It is so difficult that most Americans think that they've already done it. It is so difficult that most people can't even see the need to do it. And most people, many people, are just unwilling to do this. But if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a Jesus follower, you have to put your faith first to be a follower of Christ first and a Republican, Democrat, or Independent second. And when we do this, this is what changes our culture. This is what changes our society. This is how the first church changed the world. And whenever we talk about politics, there's so much emotion in this. There's so much emotion based on your experiences in the past, things that people have said to you, have done to you, your upbringing, and there's just this level of anger that is just boiling right beneath the surface. And so let me just be very clear. This series is not intended to get you to change your political parties or your political views. I hate to disappoint many of you, which we're hoping I would do that. However, it is intended to get you to change the way that we respond to one another in this political environment. 
And so in this series, we've, we're talking about four different things. We're talking about civility, dignity, humility, and unity. And last week we talked about civility. And the words of James, who is the brother of Jesus, were a game changer for us. Because James says that everyone, that all of us, that everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That the longer you listen, the more you'll learn, the less angry you will be. The longer you listen, the more you'll learn, the less angry you will be. And so if you weren't here last week, you can go back and you can watch it online, or maybe you were here, and it's just a refresher for you because this is the foundation of our series this last week. But today, we're talking about this second topic, which is dignity. It's dignity. Christianity. Christianity redefined the value of people, especially the most vulnerable. In the first century, children were not valued. If you had a child that you didn't want, oftentimes that would be a girl because they didn't value women. If you had a child that you didn't want, maybe your child had special needs or maybe you thought that your wife had an affair and so the baby born, you know, you didn't want it. You would take that child to the outside of the city and you would just leave it outside of the gates for the child to die. In the first century, women were not, they were not valued. They were considered property. The poor were treated like they deserved to be poor. They must have done something to be poor. So you deserve to starve. You deserve to not have your needs met. Racism was not only accepted, it was encouraged. But Christianity turned the world upside down. Jesus came to break down every wall and every barrier that now all people have dignity in the kingdom of God. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 10 that this account that we're going to look at today, it takes place about 10 years after the resurrection of Jesus. And at this point, the only people who are Christians are those who came from the Jewish faith. But in Acts chapter 10, God sends an angel to a guy by the name of Cornelius. Cornelius was a Roman centurion. He was this commander. And God said, I want you to send for the apostle Peter. The only problem is, is Cornelius was a Gentile. He was a non-Jew. And for Peter, he was born a Jew, he was raised a Jew, and the Jews would never associate with Gentiles. Racism was just part of their culture. Well, at the same time that God was speaking to Cornelius, God was speaking to Peter through a dream. And in this dream, he shows Peter all of these animals that the Jews had considered unclean. It was these animals that they were not allowed to touch, they were not allowed to kill, they were not allowed to eat. And this is where we're going to pick up our story here in Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 13. It says, then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Peter, have a ham sandwich, have some bacon with your eggs, have lobster for lunch. And then Peter begins to argue with God. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. You can see his self-righteous pride right here. God, I've always been a good Jewish boy. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean, and I'm not about to start now. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this is so confusing to him because he has been taught his entire life that these animals are off limits. 
But this is not just about food. This is about people. Well, about that time, Peter hears a knock on the door that Cornelius had sent three people to go get Peter and to bring him back to Cornelius' house. But Peter has never stepped foot into a Gentile's house, but because God told him, you go, don't be afraid to go, he went. It says, Peter went inside, and he found a large gathering of people, that there was this large room just full of Gentiles. There was Cornelius, this Roman centurion, There was all of his friends and his family. There was women and children. And Peter feels so uncomfortable. And Peter's line is so offensive that it lets you know the struggle he's having trying to accept people that he's always been told not to associate with. He said to them, you are well aware. So this isn't a secret. Everybody knows this. Everybody knows these rules, these unwritten rules that we all fall follow by, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. That as you know, we don't hang out with y'all. As you know, you know, we don't come into your house. As you know, I shouldn't even be here because the religion that he came from was exclusive and excluding. And now he's called to let go of all of that. He says, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. In other words, what he is actually saying is, until yesterday, I considered all of you impure and unclean. The crazy thing is, his religion backed this up. His upbringing backed this up. His prejudice backed this up. His political view backed this up. But he has this realization. He says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. This is a game changer. This is the first time he has ever seen this. God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. See, this is so intuitive to us, that God loves and accepts everyone. But the only reason this is intuitive to you is because you live in a culture that is influenced by Jesus, that you live in a culture that is influenced by Christianity, that we have lived in a Christian culture. Well, Peter tells him about the good news of Jesus, and Cornelius and his family receive Jesus, and then they are immediately baptized. And it is the first time the gospel has reached the non-Jews, and it took 10 years after the resurrection for this to happen because it didn't dawn on anybody that Jesus was for everyone. The way I see it, there was two conversions that day. There was the conversion of Cornelius and his family, but the bigger conversion was the conversion of Peter and his heart. That Peter would have never accepted Cornelius, but God changed his heart And at this point, you would think that everyone would be happy that the Gentiles are all included. But it's never that simple. And so Peter goes back home, and his Jewish Christian buddies criticize him. So so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. We can't believe that you would do this. Now, 
Here's what he talks about. He says, the uncircumcised believers. Now, some of you, as I just point this out, you're getting really uncomfortable right now. But let me just tell you what a circumcised believer is. This was a Jewish man who used to be Jewish who is now a Jesus follower. That's what this means. That they were followers of Jesus, but they hadn't let go of their prejudice yet. They were Jews first and Jesus followers second. And they criticized Peter. Not only did you go into the house of an uncircumcised man, you ate with them. I mean, what are you doing? Anytime you lead the way in breaking down walls, you will be criticized. Anytime that you build a bridge to someone who is not like you, you will be criticized. And Peter explains what God had done, how God brought these animals on a sheet before him to show him that nothing is impure or unclean that God has made clean, and how God threw open the doors for these Gentile believers to come to Jesus. And they were satisfied. And then they all lived happily ever. Yeah, not so much. Not so much. Because it's usually three steps forward and two steps back. That's the way it is in our life. That it's a process of letting go of whatever prejudices that you've had. Because for a lot of us, we think, well, I have dealt with this stuff. And then something happens that takes you right back to where you were before. That you have gone three steps forward but two steps back because now you have a story and something has happened to you. Well, fast forward about five years. And the gospel is now spreading throughout the world. The gospel is spreading to Gentile cities and Gentile countries. And the gospel spreads to a city called Antioch. Antioch is a multicultural, multi-ethnic city. It's about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. And in Galatians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul begins to confront Peter over going back into, taking two steps back to where he was before. It says, when Cephas came to Antioch, Cephas is just the name of Peter, but this is just an Aramaic. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. Now, when the Gentiles started becoming Christians, there was this thought that you had to become Jewish first. After all, Jesus was Jewish. All of the earliest followers were Jewish. And so they thought that you had to adopt these Jewish customs to become a Christian. Well, James, and maybe you don't know this, but James right here is the brother of Jesus. James was like the senior pastor in the church in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was the headquarters of Christianity at this point. And so he sends this contingent of Jewish Christians to go check this out. Go find out what's happening in the Gentile world and then just come back to report. Well, when they show up, Peter is completely intimidated by these guys. It says, but when they arrived... He began to draw back, Peter began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Barnabas, he's a hero in the Bible. Barnabas is known for encouraging people. He is the encourager. And Paul is saying, Even Barnabas was led astray because Peter started pulling back. Barnabas was led astray. See, Peter, he was eating bacon and pork chops with all of the Gentiles. He was all hanging out with them. 
And then some of his buddies from the old neighborhood show up. And they're like, Peter, you're eating with them? You have got to be kidding me. Peter is so intimidated by them. He pushes his chair back from that lunch table and leaves the lunch table of all the Gentiles and he goes back to the lunch table with all of his Jewish friends. Now you would think Peter, who is known as the rock, you would think that the rock would not be bothered by criticism. He would not be intimidated by criticism. But he stops associating with the Gentiles. And so the apostle Paul confronts his sin. And he says, when I saw... Um, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of all of them, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Here's what Paul is saying. It's like you were fine hanging out with the Gentiles before, you were fine eating bacon with them in the mornings with your eggs, you were fine, but then your Jewish Christian buddies show up and you want now the Gentiles to conform to you. You were fine eating with them until you're criticized. Now you want them all to act like Jews. He says, this is not in line with the truth of the gospel. You are going back on the racism of your past. You are not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. Because what Jesus did is Jesus broke down every barrier between every person. You see this over and over again in the life of Jesus. But if you look at John chapter 4, where Jesus approaches the woman at the well, he breaks down every single barrier. He breaks down the racial barrier. He breaks down the classism barrier. He breaks down the sexism barrier in this one encounter with the woman at the well. Jesus broke down every barrier, and if you are a follower of Jesus, the gospel demands that you do the same thing, that you have a higher calling, that you answer to Jesus. So later on in Galatians, Paul wants to make it very clear that in the kingdom of Jesus, there is no Jew nor Greek. Neither, neither slave nor free. There is neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul wants to make this very clear, that there is neither Jew nor Gentile. That the Jews and the Gentiles, they hated each other. If you were Jewish and a Gentile person walked into your house, you would burn your house down because it was considered unclean. Paul is talking about racism here. Then this next one, we're like, duh, but this is revolutionary. He says there's neither slave nor free. There's neither slave nor free. He's talking about classism right here. See, slavery in the ancient world was not like slavery in the United States. Slavery in America was all about racism. It was about the color of skin. But in the ancient world, it was all about the rich and the poor. That if you miss your house payment... They will take your house and your wife. If you miss your payment on your oxen that you use to plow your fields, they will take you and your oxen. See, this is all about classism. And then Paul says this. He says, nor is there male and female. This is sexism right here. This is what he's talking about. That women were considered property. 
And Jesus comes along and he blows that out of the water that in this new kingdom, in this new value system, men and women have the same dignity and the same standing. That Jesus, what Jesus did for the, for the dignity of women, it is extraordinary. Let me just tell you, I don't know why every woman would not want to be a follower of Jesus for what he did for the status of women. He did more than any other person who has ever walked the face of the earth for women. And Paul says, none of those walls exist anymore. None of those boundaries exist, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. See, you have no idea how disruptive this was, that men and women have equal value, that rich and poor have equal dignity, that every race and every culture are on equal footing, that we are one in Christ Jesus. If we're going to be in step with the truth of the gospel, it means that you have to confront some things in your life and in your politics. And just as God wanted to change Peter's heart, I wonder if God wants to change some hearts in here today. So what do we do? What do we do? It's two things. Two things. Number one, to identify our prejudices. To identify our prejudices. Here's the problem with this. Almost none of us, almost none of us would say that we're prejudiced. So let me define this for you. Prejudice is just prejudging. That's what it means. And here's the definition, preconceived opinion, a preconceived opinion that is not based on reason or actual experience. It's prejudging. Do you ever prejudge someone even though you know nothing about them? Uh, rich people, they're all snobs. Poor people are lazy. The younger generation doesn't work. Republicans are all greedy. Democrats are all socialists. And you begin to prejudge people that you don't even know. You don't even know anything about them. If you ever find yourself saying, I'm not racist, but there is nothing good that comes after that sentence. There's nothing good. Well, you know, I'm not against you fill in the blank because I once had a friend who was fill in the blank. You have to identify it. You have to identify it. This is what our country was founded on. We have these political parties that this is what our country was founded on, that we know these words, that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that our founding fathers, they didn't come up with this idea. This came from the Bible. This came from God. In Genesis chapter 1, it says that everyone was made in the image of God. But I want you to hear this. The, the lack of dignity isn't just the presence of hate. It is the absence of love. So you may go, I don't hate them. I don't hate that person. I don't hate that group. But see, the lack of dignity, it's not just the presence of hate. It's the absence of love. And as followers of Jesus, loving one another is the highest value. It's the highest value in the kingdom that you have to have the courage to identify your prejudice. Here's second thing. It's intentionally build bridges. To intentionally build bridges. It's not enough to just identify your prejudice. We have to build bridges. For Peter, 
It was one thing to confront his feelings of racism. It was quite another thing to go to the house of Cornelius and to walk in. It's building bridges that we intentionally build bridges. And this is what compels us as a church to be involved in our community and around the world, that we see ourselves as the extension of Jesus, that we are the hands and the feet of Jesus. Some people, they want us to be the political church or the current event church. I get this all the time. They want us to be the political church or the current event church, and there's times where we feel compelled to address something that is going on. A few years ago, this is when we just canceled everything we were planning to do, and we addressed this topic of racism because of what was happening in our country that summer. When one October happened, I walked into our staff on that Monday morning, and I said, everything that was on your calendar, everything that you were planning, we are canceling all of that. We are addressing this need right here. And so for the next couple months, every single weekend, the way that we served in our community, the way that we filled our calendar was addressing that need. But for the most part, we've chosen not to be the current event church. If you want to go to the current event church, you can find a current event church. But we've chosen not to be that because when you do, there's always something to speak against. There's always something to be angry about. We just believe that when you walk through God's word, God addresses those issues. And so let me just say this, just, just for a minute, just to kind of give you a peek inside, just so you can understand this. That sometimes, sometimes I get judged for what I don't say, for what I don't talk about. There is no way I can address every issue in 25 to 30 minutes, one time a week. There's no way I could do that. So don't judge us on what we don't say. Judge us on what we do. See, what we've chosen to do is to build bridges in our community. I don't know of another church that is more involved in the local community than we are. This is what compels us. See, this is what compels us to invite 50 prisoners on our campus to have Christmas with their family. This is what compels us to open up a new location at Midtown. This is what compels us to have 170 special needs guests for a big party in our auditorium. This is what compels us to give 10% of our income to advance the gospel. This is what compels us to have homeless families sleep in our facility four weeks out of the year. This is what compels us to rescue women from sexual exploitation. The gospel compels us to confront injustice. The gospel compels us to confront injustice. To build bridges to difficult places because every person has dignity. Every person matters to God. So when we come together here, we break down the walls of racism and sexism and classism. We break down the walls of Republican and Democrat. Because this is what it means to be in step with the truth of the gospel. This is what it means to be in line with the truth of the gospel. And here's our goal for this series. Our goal is to disagree politically and to love unconditionally. It's not meant for you to not have opinions politically. We all have opinions. It's not meant for that. We can disagree politically and love unconditionally. 
Are you willing to put your faith filter ahead of your political filter? This doesn't mean that you don't care about politics. You ought to care about politics. You should vote. You should be involved. It just means that you filter your politics through Jesus. And maybe your problem is not with race or an economic status. Maybe it's the person who sits on the other side of the political aisle. It's in Galatians chapter 2, in the midst of when the Apostle Paul confronts Peter, that he says what I think are some of the most powerful words in the entire Bible. He just says this. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. I've been crucified with Christ. That whatever prejudgments you tend to make about people, that if you're a follower of Jesus, you've nailed that stuff to the cross. You've been crucified with Christ. We've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. It is Christ who lives in me and through me. And when we live like that, the world takes notice. It changes the world. It changed the world 2,000 years ago, and it continues to change the world today. And so I'm going to pray with you. And maybe this is just a time for you just to be real honest with God, to say, God, I have this prejudice in my life. I don't want to. I've taken three steps forward, and right now I've taken two steps back. Something's happened. And I prejudge people, God, I need you to clean out my heart and get rid of it. I want to talk to those of you who are not yet followers of Jesus. And maybe there's a reason. I just believe that Jesus changes lives and Jesus wants to change your life. He wants to come alongside wherever you are, whatever you've done, and he wants to change you and to give you a brand new beginning. That is the power of Jesus. So maybe for some of you, today is the day to surrender your life to him. Let's just pray together. God, we thank you that you are a God who does not show favoritism, but you accept all people from every place. You accept every single person in this room, no matter our background, no matter our baggage, no matter our sins. You've accepted us. And you offer us forgiveness through Jesus. God, for those who are perhaps ready to receive Jesus as their Lord and their Savior, God, I pray that you would meet them right where they are. God, thank you for Jesus who came to break down every wall and every barrier, every hostility between people. God, help us to reflect the spirit of Jesus in everything we do. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.